open your Bibles with me this morning if you would. As Dave said earlier, John chapter 15. We do appreciate Dave taking on that load of the kids teaching during the services. And as he said, just so you'll know, it's for all the children. And rather than sit here during worship and fidget, they can go and be with Dave and have some Bible study time for that. So we thank him for that. John chapter 15, final installment of this series, Jesus tells us who he is, using a series of statements of Jesus, the I am's of Jesus, he just explained to us who he was in ways that people could understand. So he said, I am the vine. So that's what we're talking about today. John chapter 15, we'll read verses 1 through 11 in just a moment. As always, we pray. Of course, there's no shortage of people and situations that need God's touch. We have a violent world. Evidently, we live in a violent culture. And it terrifies me, to be honest. So today we pray. I'll give you a few moments to pray where you're seated, and I'll close, and we'll look at this passage together. Would you bow with me, please? Heavenly Father, again, we thank you this morning for your presence. We know and live with the conviction that when we gather, you are with us. And we also know and live with the conviction that when we are alone, you are with us. Thank you, Father, for giving us that gift of your presence, your spirit, which is always with us, actively guiding us, comforting and correcting us, helping us. Thank you, Father. Lord, we are wealthy, as I said earlier. We have everything. Thank you. We thank you for the freedom and the privileges and the opportunities we have in this great nation. We thank you for the way you've worked in our nation's history to give us these opportunities. Thank you, Father. We have a life that millions can only dream about. Thank you. Lord, this morning we come to you knowing that many struggle. Some of us struggle because of our sin. We ask for mercy and forgiveness. We ask for the ability to change our ways, to repent, and to become different people through discipline and conviction and the guidance of your Spirit. Cleanse us of all our sin, Father. Make us holy and pure in your sight. Father, this morning, we ask you to be with those that struggle in life. For those that are sick, we ask for healing. For those that struggle with family situations and job situations, guide them. Help them to make decisions not based on emotion, but on clear thought. And probably we pray for those that have power over us in our culture. For governmental leaders, police officers and others. Give them wisdom and discernment as they use their power. Give them discretion and a spirit of restraint as they use that power over us. We pray, Father, that the violence and fear that is 
overtaking our culture would be calmed. Work your spirit, Father. Use the church. Help us to rise up and be a people that can be a calming effect. Help us not to contribute to the mess and the messes, but help us to be calming factors. Father, help us. Left to our own devices, we only hate and destroy. Help, Father. We ask that you would be with those around the world, so many in peril. Do what you can. Help us here in this great nation to recognize that we have a responsibility to be an influence for peace and for good on this earth. Father, again, we thank you for all good things, for this life that you've given us, we thank you. And the hope that is in Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Have you ever noticed the way kids cling to the moms and dads? I see it every morning in childcare, and I see that even in my own family. Sometimes they cling, even when they shouldn't cling, they cling to their parents and grandparents. On screen are a couple of situations that happened in my barnyard. I didn't plan on this. I had ducks. My plan was to raise ducks. I don't know what I was thinking, but I bought a bunch of ducks, and they laid eggs as ducks will do. I didn't realize that ducks were terrible moms, and the dads are worthless, of course. They're headed for the skillet. But these are a couple of chickens, old hens, and they got broody. Now, some of you will know what I mean by that. When a chicken is broody, that means they will sit on anything round. It will be a ping pong ball, or a golf ball, or in this case, duck eggs. So my broody hens found some duck eggs, and the way they do it is pretty interesting because ducks, uh, chickens lay eggs in, in their nest. Ducks, they just walk around and it drops out of their bottom, and I don't understand that at all. So the chickens would push these big old eggs, because they're almost twice as big as chicken eggs, so they had to know there's something wrong there, and so they would push these eggs all the way across the barnyard, I mean 30, 40 yards, through the mud and all that, and they would push them into a clutch, and then they would sit on those eggs for 28 days, and, and that was my first brood. This happened twice, two years in a row. Only one and the second time a fox got mama, the, one of the mamas this in between. But anyway, this happened twice. And the interesting thing was, not just that they would hatch them, but that these ducklings would cling to their mama chickens. And their mama chickens taught them how to be chickens. It's the weirdest thing. Dick, chickens and ducks act very different. They, they, peck, they feed differently. They swim differently. Their attitude towards everything is different. And uh, I was surprised. Those chicken mamas taught their duckling babies to be chicken babies. It's the weirdest thing. So they grew up acting like chickens, and it's very confusing to them, I'm sure. And strangely enough, chickens hate water, but what happened was, over the t period of time that this happened, my chickens ended up standing in the water with their ducklings. And chickens don't do that, but my chickens did because they learned that from their babies. Kind of interesting thing there. But, it, you know, it was a lesson for me that babies need their mamas. 
And babies cling to their mamas as long as they can. And for as long as these ducks were in my barnyard with the chickens, they hung together. And there would be the chickens over here that didn't raise ducklings. And then the ducks over here that weren't raised by chickens. But then over here was this little clutch of chickens and duckies that were all together. And for as long as I had them, they hung together like that because there was that connection. And in that connection, they gained calm when people were around and they got afraid. Mama and babies, regardless of age, would get together and they would gain comfort from that. And, uh, you know, it was just a really good lesson in how, not people, but sometimes people act like those ducklings and chickens, don't they? We want, we need someone to sustain us and help us and give us sustenance and comfort and encouragement. Jesus knew this. He lived in an agrarian culture, as Dave mentioned. And in that culture, not everybody was a farmer, but everybody was very familiar with the farming life. And the big crop there wasn't chickens or ducks. The big crop there was grapes. You may not know this, but grapes are pretty interesting. And I've never gotten involved with them, but I've read some. And grapes take on the flavor of the soil where they grow. And grapes take on uh, the acids in the soil. And if a particular kind of soil has a particular kind of proteins or acids, it will make bad grapes and worse wine. But if, they are, uh, if the right mix of proteins and acids are in the soil, they make sweet grapes and sweet wine. I didn't know that. I thought all grapes were the same. They're not. I thought all soil was the same. It's not. But Jesus' people did. And he knew, and they knew, that when you're talking about grapes, you're talking about things that had to stay connected to the vine or they would immediately dry up and die. And if they were connected to the vine just the right length of time, then they would grow and be sweet. If they were plucked too early, they would be unfinished and bitter and sour. Too long, and they would be too sweet. But if... The vineyard, the dresser, understood what he was doing. He could produce some pretty good grapes. Jesus knew that. And he said, I am the vine. So he was describing himself because he wanted people to understand that that relationship between vines and grapes was the very relationship that he wanted between he and his followers. Follow along with me if you would. In John 15, I'll read the first 11 verses. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which you have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit in itself, unless it abides in a vine, so neither can you, unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. But this is my Father, glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you, if you abide in my love. 
If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be full in you, and that your joy may be made full. So Jesus uses an understanding that everybody has. I'm having trouble with my sermon here. It wants to fall. And I don't want to bend over because it's too hard to bend over and stand back up. <laughs> and you know what I'm talking about, don't you? <laughs> so he says here, I'm the vine, you're the branches. They immediately pictured the relationship between vine and branches and grapes. They knew this. If you remain in me, you will produce good fruit. So what we need to do is look at a couple things. Look at verse 7. Stay joined to me and my words remain in you. In other words, keep the faith. And that's that simple thing. Jesus saying, keep the faith. This faith that I've taught you, where you focus on me and you allow me to help you and give you strength and sustenance and hope for the days ahead, stick to that faith. In other words, don't chase after other stuff. Good lesson here. Don't go with what's most exciting. Keep the faith. Now, I say that because there are other exciting things, and I understand that. And sometimes things look better than Christianity. I get it. You know, Christianity has the image of being kind of traditional, and it is, and kind of old-fashioned, and in some ways it is. So a lot of people are tempted to go to something new, and I get it. But Jesus is saying here, keep the faith. Now, that doesn't mean you can't upgrade your expressions of faith. It's okay to sing different songs and things like that. It may interest you to know that the hymns that you love were rejected when they were new. Amazing Grace and all those songs, do you know that no one liked them at first? Because they were new. That's right. Because people equated their faith with older expressions. So when people like the newer types of music, there's nothing wrong with that. That's not what Jesus is talking about. The old faith is a faith that is based on Jesus. The old faith is a faith that is based on his crucifixion and resurrection. Jesus simply says, keep the faith. One of the ways that you abide in the vine is you keep the faith. Just keep living as Christian. Whether or not it's modern or popular or politically acceptable has to become irrelevant. And again, we live in a culture where we're taught by this incessant bleeding of talking heads on TV and YouTube and internet and all those kinds of things that you've got to follow these people. And if you don't follow these people, there's something wrong with you. And what we have to do is keep the faith. Abide in the vine because it's the only vine that gives life. Stay joined to Jesus. Look at verses 9 and 10 if you would. Just as the Father has loved me, I've also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So, the love there is love God, love people. When he's talking about that. Remember, that was a big emphasis on Jesus. He left it up to Paul to teach some specifics. Jesus didn't do a lot of specifics sometimes. Love God, love others. Remember, he made it simple. He allowed Paul, in fact, God used Paul to flesh that out and make it a bigger thing. When you stick to the love of Jesus, you love God. That means you make him a priority in your life. And then you love people and you learn 
to treat them the way you want to be treated. And that's the essence of faith. That isn't all of the faith, but Jesus wanted you to understand. And remember, Jesus didn't conflict with Paul when he said, love God and love others. That was just the basics. You've got to get that part right. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the basics. Those are the non-negotiables. Some of the other things, music, clothing, worship times, uh, you know, so many other things are negotiables. But this love that enables God to work within us and through us, those are the things when Jesus says, keep the faith. When you obey me, you remain in my love. So, Jesus hinted at this obedience thing. Find out what it takes to live Christian and do it. So Jesus mentions that word obedience there, doesn't he? So, so don't think a minute that, for a minute that Christianity is just a bunch of feelings. I love God and I love people and that's all there is to it. It's not. There's more to it than that. There's that sense of obedience to God's teachings. So Jesus teaches those things about abiding in the vine. So on screen are some ideas of fruits that come to your life when you abide in the vine. One of the things that comes to you as you abide in the vine is a powerful prayer life. This is where you pray and you get the sense that you've connected with God. Now I'll be honest, I don't always get that. Sometimes I feel like I'm praying to the ceiling and so do you, I've heard you talk. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it's happening. And that's more our perceptions than reality. The Bible teaches us, remember, this is where the Bible teaches us how to think. That when you pray, God listens. So whether or not you feel it or not isn't the issue. Sometimes my wife tells me things and I don't act correctly. But then when I do things correctly, she'll say, well, I didn't think you were listening. Well, see, her perception was off and I don't know what's going on there. Sometimes she's accurate and I'm not listening to her. But sometimes I do listen and I do what I'm told, etc., etc. And her perceptions are off. I think sometimes our perceptions are off with God. It doesn't feel like we're getting through. Sure we are. If you pray through Jesus, you're a follower of Jesus, you pray in the name of God, and you pray consistent with biblical teachings, God is hearing you. And your prayers are doing good. And part of growing in faith and developing this fruit is learning to trust Scripture. Trust the one who sustains you. And you will gain a powerful prayer life. And that means it's a prayer life that will change your life and can impact your life and the lives of others. In verse 8, you can see that God is glorified by your life. Look at that verse, if you would. This is my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. God is glorified. It means you make God proud. You make him look good. You make his faith look valid when you demonstrate some of this fruit in your life. So when you grow as Christian, when you gain nurture and sustenance on a spiritual level from biblical teaching and from your faith and practice of faith, and you begin to change, then God is glorified. Now, if you don't do those things and you don't control your speech and you don't control your actions, then you're not glorifying God. One of our goals as Christians must be to glorify God. And so what we have to ask ourselves before we ask or before we talk, before we act, if I do this, 
will that glorify God? So, uh, you know, I, I watch Christians in the news, and of course Christians always get bad media and bad press, and sometimes they deserve it, don't they? Not all Christians are good and godly people. They mean well, and they have religious fervor, but not all Christians are bringing glory to God, and you can figure which one's out. If, if Christians do something that is violent and hurtful, that doesn't bring glory to God. If Christians do something that shows bigotry or hatred towards a certain people group, that doesn't glorify God. If Christians make it sound like you've got to be a Christian or God doesn't like you, you know, we have failed. The message of Jesus, of course, is that God loves everybody. And he's a lot more gracious than most of us. So when Christians portray an image of people that are spiteful and angry and willing to shame others, they're simply not reflecting well on God himself. So we have to be careful. Doesn't mean you can't disagree, but there is a way to speak and express your faith in a way that is gracious and kind. Jesus did it. If you don't know how to challenge people, just read the words of Jesus. One of the other things on screen is that one of the fruits is a life of joy. Look at verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. Now this does not mean you get everything you want. Sometimes you're, you can say truthfully, well I'm not feeling the joy here. And that's okay. You don't have to feel the joy all the time. Joy isn't necessarily walking around with a fake smile plastered on your face. You know, sometimes we have this idea that if I'm a good Christian, I've got to act happy. Hi! You know, that's really not necessary. It is good for people to see you struggle. It's good to see you struggle and make it through because of your faith. That brings glory to God. See how that works? If you go through a time of loss or a hard time for whatever and you maintain your faith, and you pray to God, and somehow in that, God works and helps you. And people see this, and they hear you talking about it. You know, I prayed, I thought I was going to die, but God helped me. You know, people hear that. So learn to think, how can I glorify God, even when you're not in the mood? And I get it. Sometimes we're not in the mood, and we're... We're not very happy and we ain't feeling the love of Jesus and all those kinds of things. But what we have to do is learn how to act beyond our emotions. And that's really hard. Watch a child. Pick a child, any child. They're all the same. Right? Their emotions are what you see. If they're feeling happy, they're happy. If they're feeling sad, they're crying. If they're feeling mad, they hit you or they run from you or something like that. Every day it's the same. I watch the kids in child care. Their emotions are on their shoulders. They don't know how to mediate and, and all the, their behaviors and all those kinds of things. And that's something you have to learn, isn't it? So as Christian, learn from children. Don't be like them, but learn from them. Moderate your behavior because of your faith. When you do that, not only is your life better, but God is glorified because they see that God is working. The idea of joy isn't fake happiness. Joy means that overall, your life is worth living. That overall, you can say, I am blessed by God. That overall, looking back, you say, well, you know, God was with me. And I didn't even realize it. That's what joy is. And, and the thing about joy is, it is not unaffected, but it is not necessarily taken away by your circumstances. 
Some of you will literally go through hell on this earth, and you know that. You've seen it. Some of you have done it. It doesn't mean God isn't with you. And if right now you are in that situation, it doesn't mean God isn't with you at all. God is with you. He loves you. And he encourages you to hang on to him and to gain nurture and sustenance from him. And God will help you get through it. The teaching is that if we abide in the vine, we will do better. On that next screen is this idea, if we can get there. If we abide in the vine of Jesus, we will do better in our lives regardless of any other factor. I wish I could say that if you're a good Christian, God will bless you and take care of you and you'll never, never struggle and nothing bad will ever happen, etc., etc., etc. And if I said that, I would be a liar to you. No guarantees in this life, except that God is with you. That's the guarantee. God is with you and will help you. And when you follow Jesus, your life will be better. Because all the things that we do that bring misery upon ourselves will be lessened. Because we will learn not to bring misery upon ourselves. Think about it. There's this little boy. Child care. He, he's, he's this tall. He's the cutest thing. And he's developed his own personality, which means run. That's it. He's a runner. And you know what I mean by runner. That means as soon as you let go of his hand, psh, he is gone. Cars, he don't care. Dogs, he don't care. Fire trucks, he's after them. And he is gone. Mama walks like this. And she's got another one, same age. And if she pays too much attention to this one and loosens her grip, psh, there he goes. He's got to learn how to act, doesn't he? And the suffering that he experiences, because mama's a good mama, he brings on himself because of his behavior. So what we have to do is don't act like that two-year-old. Instead, act like the Christian that God has created within you. Learn to moderate your behavior by biblical teaching, by what you've gained from Christ as you've held on to him, and your life will be better. Not perfect. Better. Because you'll be different. One of the other things that Jesus teaches here is that people without Jesus will live without the strength and hope that he can give. Doesn't mean they're bad people, but it means they're on their own. And sometimes people on their own really struggle. And you've seen that too. So Jesus is saying, I'm the vine. My father is a vine dresser. So if you connect with God through Jesus the vine and the vine dresser is working and you know he prunes and all those kinds of things to make the vine stronger then you develop fruit. There are a lot of things in life that don't produce good fruit. Like I said earlier, if the vine dresser does his job and the fruit isn't plucked too early, the fruit will grow. So what we have to do is see what kind of fruit will develop and what will happen if we don't. So on screen are a couple of ideas of false vines. Things that can come into our lives and if we're not careful, we will cling to them instead of Jesus. And good people do this too sometimes. Pagan beliefs and philosophies. Interestingly enough, the word pagan is beginning to change because Christianity is no longer central to Western culture. But pagan typically means non-Christian. 
So when I say pagan f beliefs and philosophy still, I'm speaking about any kind of religion or belief system that doesn't focus on Jesus as Savior. So it could be naturalism or a scientific mindset or atheism or any other kind of religion that doesn't focus on Jesus. All of these things have their strengths and they all seem to look pretty good. But they can leave you empty. And at the very least, without God in this life and leave you totally unprepared for life in the next life. Like it or not, this life isn't all there is. There is a life that is to come. And the big flaw of all these other teachings is that they do not help you prepare for the life to come. They can't. Only Jesus can do that. God through Jesus gives us an opportunity not only for salvation, but for hope in the next life. So all these beliefs and philosophies that people have of naturalism and scientific naturalism and all those kinds of things and all the other worldly faiths, they simply can't help you in that. Good people make big mistakes. So those are false vines. Another one is an overemphasis upon experience and sensuality. Our culture is kind of stuck here right now. We're saying, you know, we don't say it because it sounds bad, but this life is all you got, so you better do whatever you can. This lifestyle generally focuses on what is feel-goods or what is ex uh, fulfilled experiences. Sometimes it has a lot of emphasis upon sexuality and those kinds of things, or drugs or alcohol or all those kinds of things. Any kind of life that's based on those kinds of experiences, because this is all you got, those are things that will leave you wanting because there will come a time when you're not going to feel good anymore and you're not going to be able to do the things that are fun and all those things will be taken from you. But if you are nurtured by the vine that is Jesus, then you will gain that fruit. Jesus isn't trying to be a buzzkill here or anything like this. He's just saying, listen, there is a way to live that will prepare you for this life and the life that is to come. And there is a way to live, everything else, that will not prepare you for anything. And ultimately, come judgment day, you will stand before God. And there will be an eternity for which you need to be prepared. And Jesus wanted people to understand that. He didn't bring it up all the time, didn't bring it up often. But he wanted people to be clear. The life that is to come can only be based on Jesus. Everything else will fail you. You can have fun with the other lifestyles. You can have enlightenment and good experiences. Not taking away from any of those things. But they just won't save you. And ultimately they will fail. On screen is this idea. Read this with me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him. He bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Interestingly, this is an Old Testament teaching. Let's go back. Read that next screen, please. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, there we go. This is an Old Testament passage. Read this with me. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in him will I trust. The Old Testament people learned to trust God because everything else was up for grabs. 
Literally. Jesus was saying, listen, they understood. I'm the vine. Abide in me. And you will have life. And life that's worth living. Nate's going to come and lead us in a closing hymn of invitation. I hope you've learned something from these words of Jesus. Because he was just trying to be straight with people. Wasn't a buzzkill or anything. But we need honest talk. And Jesus gives us that. Let me encourage you to make those decisions that will allow God to work in your life. Why don't you stand with me as Nate leads us. for the message that we received today. Lord, I just ask that you would help us to reflect on you each and every day, forgive others no matter what they do to us, and live in love. In your name I pray. Amen.